You are listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour, a podcast released on the first three Wednesdays of the month. Family crisis, relationship crisis, addiction crisis, no two crisis situations are the same. They vary by family, individual, and relationship. They can encompass complex family dynamics, emotional distress, anger issues, and entitlements, and often involve substance abuse. This podcast addresses these issues and others surrounding the addiction epidemic currently plaguing this country and the world. There is hope and help. Are you stuck, scared, or unsure of what to do next? If a situation with a loved one, spouse, or even a child has started to spiral, possibly becoming dangerous or threatening, it's time to seek help. My name is Scott H. Silverman. I help families navigate crisis situations. I'm the person you turn to in order to get you and your loved ones unstuck. Welcome back to the show. My name is Michael Glenn Moore. I am Scott's co-host. I have a podcast myself titled In a City Like Yours, and that's how I met Scott. He was a guest on my show back in September 2019. Scott, what are we going to talk about today? Well, Michael, uh, hello to you, and, and thanks very much again for uh, setting all of this up and being the mechanic and the man behind the curtain. Uh, today, I think what I'd like to talk about, I say think because I've, I've thought a little bit about it, and when we talk about what we're going to talk about, I think we, we cover the issues, and I think we hear about the issues uh, and what's going on with the opioid crisis and fentanyl and, and overdosing and people using Narcan to revive a loved one who's overdosed on opioids. I think today what I really want to talk about is stigma and what we can do to help reduce the stigma. And if we have time, we'll go into accessing treatment and what different levels of care people have had access to when it comes to treatment. How's that sound? Sounds great. Uh, when you say stigma, you mean what? S stigma, S-T-I-G-M-A, stigma. The stigma of when people perceive somebody having an issue the old way of thinking was it was some sort of a moral failing, meaning if someone has an addiction problem, the idea, you know, historically is, well, you know, if you don't pick up a drink, you won't have a drinking problem. Well, that might make sense to somebody who doesn't have a drinking problem, but somebody who has a drinking problem doesn't necessarily pick up a drink thinking they have a drinking problem. They pick up a drink because they have a, another issue or underlying issues that need to be addressed. So society has kind of said that if you, you know, have this weakness and you have issues with not stopping something that you start because you don't know why you start and don't know how to stop it, there's a big stigma around it. People see people as weak. People see people who maybe have a moral failing. People see others and say, you know, you really should be able to control that. And that applies, by the way, to almost any maladaptive behavior that has to do with compulsive, obsessive, addictive behavior like gambling, internet, sex, food. You know, some people do it with exercise, obviously. And of course, prescription medication, recreational drugs, self-medicating. You know, all of those things are looked at societally sometimes as, as stigmatized, meaning you really should be able to control that. But someone who's predisposed, it's like diabetes. If you have diabetes, you can't control it. And I've never met anybody who's woken up in the morning and said, Today, I'm going to do everything I can to medicate myself and know that I'll be happy. Most people do it because they don't, have an, they don't believe they have an option. And that's part of the stigma as well, that there is help and there's hope. So that's what we're going to talk about today. 
Okay, I can relate. I have bipolar. I have depression. And uh, I know there's a big stigma around mental health issues. But uh, go ahead and start and get us going on how stigmas come about and how we can lessen that for, for individuals. Well, and, and thank you, Michael, for sharing that about yourself personally, because my sense would be that there, if you take 10 people, more than likely of the 10 people, six, seven out of 10 of them have some sort of issue going on. And in today's society, when you think of all the challenges that we run up against and all the potential barriers that we seem to bump into, if we don't have the proper tools, we tend to shut down and internalize. And, you know, I, we, we need to speak more about that because once in my experience with people who suffer from the disease of addiction, if they're active in their addiction, meaning they're using and abusing and they're anesthetizing themselves, once they get into recovery and once they've made the commitment to stop putting those mood altering substances into their body, the real underlying issues, the real mental health issues, the anxiety, the depression, Un, undiagnosed and untreated trauma from their past or present needs to be dealt with. So when you think about it, the disease of addiction with substance abuse really is a, an outcome, if you will, or a symptom of you know, what happens is when people are drinking and using to mask those issues. But when that mask is pulled off, those issues still exist and they have to be treated. And if they're not, someone's going to go right back to drinking and using, which is interesting when you think about it, and we've talked about this in the past, that 95% of the average citizen who goes into a 28-day substance abuse treatment program, I'm talking inpatient residential treatment now, that's part of that $40 billion industry. If they do nothing else, nothing else in the 28 days, they have a 95% chance of relapsing. So part of the stigma about treatment is it isn't just a quick fix. You can't just go to a special event for a week and stay at a, a really cool treatment center or go to some sort of a high-end spa and do a detox and then go home and expect everything to be different. It's kind of like a diet. Once you lose the weight, the important thing is maintaining a quality of life and maintaining the weight loss. Well, that's the hard part. So again, stigma around substance abuse and treatment in my opinion, and I want to, let's talk about the solution to it. I mean, we know, we all know it exists. We may not have labeled it that way, but the idea is if you have a problem, if you have a, a sore on your arm or you feel like you've sprained your ankle, you go right to the doctor. You go right to the emergency department. You don't wait. But when someone's depressed and anxious and decides to spend a couple of days in bed trying to sleep it off or somebody starts drinking and using and abusing, to deal with that emotional pain, we look at them and we go, look, you know, there's something's wrong with them. Why can't they manage their life? That's part of the stigma. So the thinking would be is how do we help people know that it's okay to ask for help and there is hope and help out there. And if you don't know what to do, how to get started on how to get help and what that might look like. So in the industry today, uh, the substance abuse, mental health, behavioral health industry, if you will, and I call it an industry because there is a business just like medicine and hospitals are, you can go see an expert and they will do an assessment. And part of that professional clinical assessment helps better understand what your needs, wants, and desires are. I mean, we talk about psychologists and we talk about psychiatrists. I mean, there's a common understanding of what they do. 
And they're two of the licensed professionals who sit at the leadership top of the peak of the mountain of those who deal with those who have the issues. And, you know, it's always been part of the stigma that, boy, if you have to see a psychiatrist or you need to see a psychologist, there's something really wrong with you. So instead of seeing and seeking help, we tend to anesthetize instead. And what that does is just contributes to the negativity in people's lives. The spiral that goes downward continues and the, you know, level of self-esteem drops, self-confidence drops. And what happens is people start to feel helpless and hopeless. And from there, you know, are major triggers for, you know, taking their own life. Hence, you know, suicide being unfortunately a way out for some people who don't know how to process and cope. And the stigma obviously around suicide is rather high as well. And we'll talk about what that looks like and what that feels like on a later show. So I think that kind of gives a quick overview around the uh, stigma side of it. So what, is, what does treatment look like? Uh, there's a variety of different levels, but the first thing I really encourage people to do is if you think you have a problem or you're not sure you have a problem, it's good to talk to somebody who might be able to help guide you. And that simply can be a faith-based leader, could be a primary doctor, could be a, a close family member, but just get the conversation started. You know, I'm not sleeping well, or I'm losing weight, or I'm really feeling depressed. At least talk to somebody. And if you don't know what to do and you're afraid to do it on your own, someone might be able to, you know, suggest an idea, they might be able to hold your hand and move you forward towards the path. And if you're concerned about the stigma and you're concerned about people knowing, you go online and you find a a professional. There's ways to do it through your insurance. If you have insurance, and most people have some form of it, you can go onto the back of your card. There's usually an 800 number. You can call that number and you can ask for a referral to somebody who might be able to help you with what's going on. And if you're not sure what it is, explain it to the person answering the phone. And right now in our country, we have probably more 24-hour, seven-day-a-week hotlines than we've ever seen before, crisis hotlines. And you can always call those that are anonymous and in many cases, they're not tracking the phone number. And there's also ways to dial the number without someone knowing who you are. So you can talk to somebody who's skilled and trained to help answer some of your questions. So there's no excuse, in my opinion, for someone to sit alone and deal with something that basically is depleting them of all of their energy, emotional, physical, and physiological. So get on the phone. Make a phone call. I need help. Three easy words that are some of the toughest words in the English language for the average person to say. So you make the phone call, then you make the next step. For substance abuse and addiction treatment, you know, it's the traditional ways are going into a medically supervised detox where they oversee your detoxing and they potentially will guide you through the process and you take your vitals and you're in a safe environment. So Medically, you're not going to have the consequences that can take place when you just stop using something that your body has been addicted to because that can cause some medical issues in its own right. And from detox, an average person might go into a residential treatment program, sometimes referred to as RTC. And then after residential treatment, you know, what I do at Confidential Recovery is we have people come to us for the intensive outpatient and the outpatient side of it. And that could be anywhere from eight to 10 weeks three days a week, and insurance generally covers most of that. And then after the intensive outpatient, one can step down to, as we say in the industry, to an outpatient program and go from three times a week to twice a week to once a week to every other week to once a month. And I really encourage people, 
that when you think about recovery and you think about treatment, you know, it's not like going to the doctor for an annual physical. It's something you need to really stay engaged with. And the reason is that most people who have spent time self-medicating have numbed themselves for so long that they have this inability to feel feelings. And when you start to remove the anesthesia, mood-altering substances, what happens is the body, mind, and soul starts to scream because it doesn't have the tools necessary to process something as simple as, I'm going to an event at a restaurant and there's going to be alcohol there. And they've never been to an event where there's alcohol in many months or many years and they're not sure what to do. So to be able to talk to somebody, which is what you can do in a variety of medically supervised and clinical environments, but also there are tons of anonymous support groups out there that will welcome you if you're willing to come into the room and say, I wanna see what's going on. You don't even have to make a commitment. The commitment's simply to get in the room and listen, sit down and listen. The meetings are usually an hour, and sometimes they ask for a contribution, like a buck to be there. So there's all kinds of them, and we won't go into detail today, but we'll put a list together at some point, and maybe with some 800 numbers down the road, so people can at least make the phone calls. But they're all online. You go online and say, anonymous program for recovery, and then you put in my area, I'm in San Diego, California, you'll be amazed at what pops up. And there's even electronic meetings right now on the internet where they have chat rooms, and you can talk to people who are experiencing what you're experiencing. And when you're doing it that way, you're sitting at home in your pajamas, so you're not even physically at a meeting, and you're able to talk to somebody else, you know, blindly, if you will, through a, uh, you know, internet-based uh, conversation and a server that's set up for that. And most every anonymous group has some form of internet-based meetings that go on around the clock. And some of them have international connections as well. So you may be talking to people around the globe about the same thing you're going through, or they've been through it and you're about to go through it. So talking with somebody who's been there and done that is real helpful as well. So that's kind of a big mouthful. And I feel like I didn't even, you know, take a deep breath on that one, uh, Michael. So anything else that you, you'd like to cover today around that topic? And, and how do you feel like uh, that's gone so far? Well, you pretty much covered every time I had a question, you would answer it before I had a chance to ask it. So you just is, that a, is that a good is that that's, a good thing? That's a great job. It's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you can you can take a little nap then while I go on and ramble. And I don't mean to ramble, but I I do have a lot of data, and I you know I have a guy in long term recovery, almost a little over thirty five years of continuous sobriety, and you know I don't want anyone ever to think, oh gee, he's just bragging. No, what it means is there's hope and help. And if you Google me, Scott H Silverman, and you take a look at my past, and you go, oh my God, how is this guy still walking around the planet? It's because of people who cared about me. It was because of family and friends. It was because of the recovery groups and the rooms where I went and, and got support. Now I run a treatment center, an outpatient program, also a family crisis coach and family navigator. And I do everything I can every day to try to be a resource to others. Is this something you talk about in your book? No, my, my book talks a lot about my own journey and other people that I served. Uh, and the new book that I'm working on is going to be a lot more uh, revealing. And one of the things I'm very excited about with the new book, and, you know, here we are in the first part of the, the first quarter of 2020, I'm hoping the book's going to be out in fall this year, if all goes well. And in that book, I've got a group of families who have written stories. So the stories in the book are going to be coming from a, a variety of different, you know, I'm, I'm Joe's wife, I'm, I'm Cindy's friend, I'm, you know, Johnny's brother. 
I work with so-and-so. This is what happened to my son. So we're going to have a lot of great stories in there. And most of them are, are written now, just going to start putting together the dialogue and getting some of the facts together so people can actually access it as a resource. And we're going to try to put a few pages together of national organizations, hotlines, crisis hotlines, and organizations that are really available to take phone calls and help people navigate along with myself. So that'll have a lot more of that. But some of it's in my book, too. It's called Tell Me No, I Dare You. And the concept behind the book really was, you know, how to take no and turn it into a yes. And when it comes to the stigma, it's really apropos. And people can find the book um, on my website, yourcrisiscoach.com, yourcrisiscoach.com. Just go to me directly. And if you want to purchase it, I'll send it to you. You know, it's on Amazon as well, but I can get it to you quicker because I have to send it to them if you want one. So again, and, and Scott H. Silverman is my name. So Google me and let me give you my phone number. And since I'm out there putting my info out, it's uh, 619 993-2738. Let me give it to you again. 619-993-2738. Now I'm in San Diego, California. And some of you are thinking, well, how can he help me? He's so far away. I could say, well, you're too far away. But most of my coaching work and my crisis intervention work is done by phone. And I work with families. And, and as a family navigator, you're going to do the work, but I'm going to help guide you because sometimes it's really hard to figure out, you know, my husband and I disagree on what's going on with our daughter. We're not sure which way to go. We've talked to all kinds of treatment centers. We're not sure if she needs this. We're not sure if she needs that. She's not willing to do this. And, and both of us kind of disagree on how we think she should get help. That's where a guy like me or a person like me can come in to help you kind of sort out what next steps look like. And that's what I do with my crisis coaching and family navigating. So please give me a call. And anyone who's listening, Michael, anyone who hears this message today, you know, when they hear it, they can call me at 619-993-2738. And I will give anybody who calls me who mentions our show, Scotty Silverman Happy Hour, I'll give anybody 10 minutes of free coaching. So please make the phone call, text me, let's have a conversation. Because at the end of the day, substance abuse, mental health issues, there is hope and help. And they're totally treatable. Meaning, I don't want to go to any more funerals and I want to do everything I can to help anyone who's interested on what next steps might look like. Links to websites and personal information about Scott will be included in the show notes. So go, go to the show notes and, you, and at the bottom, you'll be able to find the links. Scott, what else can we talk about today? Are we done with stigma or do you want to say something else about it? Well, I just, I think again, you know, I need help those three magic words. Uh, and if you don't know how to navigate it, it's okay. You know, if, if your engine on your car stops running, you call a mechanic. So think of me as your mechanic, if you will, for what it is you're not sure about when it comes to this area of concern. So I think that kind of covers that part of it, uh, Michael, at this point. I've got my dogs running around today. So the sun's out here and we're expecting rain tomorrow. So it's nice to see the sun shining. 